and welcome back to But We're Different. For those of you joining us for the first time, But We're Different Live is a weekly virtual event for revenue professionals who want to think differently about growing their businesses. We here at Impact, we work uh, and have a team of coaches that work with, at any given time, over 75 companies helping them close the trust gap and achieve what we call sales and marketing mastery. Everything we're going to share with you during these sessions is what we see firsthand from the companies that we work with. Here's what we know. The way people buy has changed and yet companies still haven't changed the way that they market and sell. And it's our mission here to take these insights to help you adapt to these changes so you can grow your business. My promise to you is this. You will always leave with actionable takeaways that you can do immediately in your organizations to improve your current growth strategies and execution. And again, thanks everybody for being here, taking the time to join us today. We know there's many things you could be doing with this hour, but the fact that you're spending it with us means a lot to us. So let's get into it. All right, we did it guys. We have reached the final installment of the big five. And that is what we're gonna cover today, which is comparisons and versus content. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the big five, very quickly, these are the five topics that address the most urgent questions and concerns that modern buyers have when making purchases, regardless of industry, regardless of if you're B2B or B2C or anything like that. Now, if you've missed previous episodes on the big five, you can check out all the replays, but we're different on anywhere you listen to podcasts like Spotify and Apple, and of course, our YouTube channel. So for today's topic, comparison and versus. This is the content that goes deep into the consideration stage of the buying process. And it basically helps buyers kind of mind map your industry or your space. And the stage is so important because it's when buyers start to ask the really hard questions that will ultimately determine what or who they purchase from. And it's also this stage that most businesses don't really consider when they're creating content. So most companies I see, they focus the majority of their effort on this like awareness, top of the funnel stuff. And if we're lucky, they spend a little bit of time on the decision stage, that more bottom of the funnel content, and totally, totally neglecting this middle part where consumers will do the majority of their self-driven, and that's the key here, the self-driven research into all the possible solutions to their problems. And it's neglecting this stage in this content that breaks trust with buyers and in turn widens the trust gap. So Zach, I'd love to start with you, man. Clarify this for us. Set the stage. Why do most businesses avoid creating this type of content in the first place? It's, it's this uh, false illusion that if we don't talk about that other competing option, then the prospect won't even know they exist or they won't even consider that other option if I don't talk about it, right? Which is assuming buyer ignorance. Here's one thing we know, buyers are not ignorant. They are moments away from determining what all of the options are. So we can't say, well, if we don't talk about this thing, they're not gonna figure out what it is. What we have to say is, what happens when they're aware of all of the options? They do wanna compare us versus them or this versus that. Are we gonna be the ones that that have that conversation? Are we going to be the ones that give them the tools they need to make an assessment? Or are we going to leave it up to the marketplace to become the teachers? 
The fact is you and I can find just about anything we need with enough research, but we would much prefer that we had a, let's say, trusted advisor, which is a company that might tell us what those options are and what might be best for us. That's the challenge for any of us as, as organizations is to be that teacher, the one that doesn't bury our head in the sand and say that other option is not good or it doesn't exist. We say it very much does exist. And here's what you need to know to make a good decision. You, you, you talk about being that teacher. And I don't think that's like a default mindset for a lot of companies out there. And Will, I know that you spend an awful lot of time trying to help companies embrace this mindset. Is there something, is there something you see that prevents people from taking this on? It's funny. I think people think they cover this information in content that they think is checking the box of actually allowing people to contrast their options, which to a point Zach said, none of us in the last month of buying something have ever felt incapable of figuring out the options in front of them. Y'all know what your consideration set is when you start thinking about buying a solution. The first way that companies make uh, comparison or versus content is they go into talking about, as businesses tend to do, themselves. And so usually when I'm going and making my first comparison article with someone, they already have something that's like, why X company or the X company difference? And it's them showing all of the reasons of when it does make sense to move with them. It's, it's usually shouting some like claims we make too. It's like, this is why we're different. This is how we do things differently. We have better customer service, better tenacity, like all the hustle. And the thing that they're missing is the other side of the coin. Uh, which usually the first challenge I give to people is, can you tell me when it doesn't make sense for people to work with you? Like who's a bad fit to, to be you? Not, not just why you guys are the right decision. And all of a sudden it allows someone to help see like, oh, maybe there are if then statements that allow myself to help up my buyer contrast from the other options that they're considering. Kind of sounds like people don't truly know what they should be comparing though. Mm. That is true. I mean, that's, so that's why this stuff not only closes the trust gap, but will shorten a sales cycle is if you become more familiar with why, what people need to compare and what they need to know to do it correctly, then you're, you're going to be more effective. For instance, I said this last week on, on, on our last episode, uh, when it comes to best of content or reviews, we can assume with relative certainty that if for a portion of buyers, if they don't feel like they've gone through the proper logic by the time they get to the later stages of the of the buyer's journey or of the sales process, they're going to start pumping the brakes. Indecision is going to start to creep in. And it's all because we didn't cover the right logic for them earlier on. Flip side of the coin is, if you've gotten them to that later part of the buyer's journey, that later part of your sales process, they feel like they understand everything about cost and price and value. They understand the problems that might exist within the industry. They understand how it stacks up to something else. They know what the best option is and whether or not they want the best option. And they've looked at reviews. If they've done all those things, then they're less likely to creep into indecision. So, so Nick, to your point, uh, the only reason that we wouldn't know what we feel like we uh, should teach about or our, or our buyers sh wouldn't know what they should be comparing is because we didn't really think about what goes into the decision because we just like talking about us and we like to pitch. We don't think about what's the information they actually need to make a buying decision. And that's the great divide. Yeah. Zach, let me, let me ask you this. When, when you see a company do their first 
comparison article, what are the key things you typically have to like push first? What are the things they get wrong or do incompletely the first time? I think this depends on the nature of what we're comparing because I often won't start with, all right, let's take your biggest competitor and let's compare you to them. Yeah. That's, too, that's you know, that's going to be tough to do out of the gate. Let's just talk about, all right, if you, let's say it's a B2B application. Let's talk about your specific approach and how that might compare to other types of approaches. Could, could be all sorts of competing options with you, but it's like, let's talk about the difference. Or one example for us here at Impact might be inbound marketing versus outbound marketing. We're starting with very low levels of like awareness and education. So again, people understand, well, you know, if we're going to talk about the different options, you're going to need to know what the difference between inbound and outbound is. But I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking ahead of my buyer. Do they, what do they need to know? So that's typically where I'm going to start. And even in, in, in those ones, Will, the biggest mistake, just like with everything, is that we're biased. We don't think like the customer. We think like the business. So it would be tempting for me, given the fact that we are in a company that primarily focuses on coaching people on inbound marketing. If I'm writing an article about inbound versus outbound, it's going to be very tempting for me to say all the things that are great with inbound and the things that are fundamentally broken when it comes to outbound. Yeah, It's going to be much harder for me. And admittedly, it would be harder for me to think about what are the major benefits of still some types of outbound marketing versus the major cons of inbound. Now, it doesn't say I can't do it, but it's going to be hard for me. And so it's just going to be more tempting to go with what I know versus what I need to actually teach. How do you keep people from being super biased in these things? I think it's really easy to write an article like inbound versus outbound, being an inbound company, to say all the things that are wrong. Like, so how do, you, how do you guide people to being more matter of fact about what's true in your space versus just trying to trash on the alternative? Mm. So I have one rule of thumb that I think starts this. I won't let anyone I'm working with use the word why in any other titles. Because I think why inherently means some form of like argument that you're making or opinion that you're giving. And it helps. Someone's like, I'm interested in hearing that take, but I'm also going to have to go hear the other side of this story from who's going to give me the, the, the other side of this, the why, the argument on the other side. So that's why impact should not have the why does inbound marketing make sense for businesses. Instead, you can, you can make that same piece of content, but shift it into when or how do I know it makes sense to do X, Y, or Z. And then I push, I push teams before they even go write a single word on it. It's like, think about the statements that say, if these things are true about your business, it's likely this makes more sense for you. But if these things are true about your business, it likely this makes more sense for you. And when I'm, when I'm starting with a team that is real different and has a hard time discussing this stuff, the first thing I'll have them make is a comparison that's just comparing two of their product offerings or two of their service offerings for themselves. Just go practice because your sales team has those conversations all day. They're happy to talk about helping you find the right fit of the things that we sell. Go, go try that first. I'm sure they have those if-then statements that'll roll off the tongue like nothing. And then go write the piece of content that does that and then push yourself to go do something that's a little bit more out of your territory where you have to be pretty conscious not to get biased. Bring up a good point on that one, Will, which is... We're talking like different schools of thought and different bigger overarching concepts that we can compare. And then there's what's just within your organization, within your wheelhouse. So like 
compared to products that you sell because people are often considering that. Like that's also, uh, these are the micro decisions that people have to make in order to complete the purchase. Last week, we talked about an architecture firm that compares different flooring options and reviews different flooring options because these are micro decisions that someone who's going to buy from them need to make in order to complete the whole overarching program with them or to sign with them. So this brings up a good point though. How is this any different from the stuff that we talked about last week with reviews and the best of topics? I feel like it could feel like we're kind of splitting hairs here and trying to make it seem different. So Zach, I'm curious to get your take on this. Are these two, are these things really that different? Well, they fit at different stages of the buyer's journey, I would say. Um, which by the way, there is no one linear buyer's journey that all of your buyers have. I'm just saying it's going to, this is achieving something that might be a little bit different than the others. So generally speaking, when we're looking for what is the best option, we're just trying to rein in on like, what is the general thing I need to be pointing at here or investigating? Okay. Last week I gave the example of me buying an air fryer. And so I didn't, I don't know anything about brands of air fryers. I don't know anything about them at all. So I started with what's the best. I just want to be familiar with, with what are some of the brands I should be looking at. Okay. So narrowing down my choices a little bit. Um, now perhaps I'm going into what is comparison and versus. So maybe I'm taking two brands or two types of, of air fryers and I'm just using a you know product because it's a good example. But now I'm comparing two and I want to know the specific pros and cons between the two. Now maybe I'm narrowed in on one and I'm looking at reviews of that and problems with that. So they just fit at different stages depending on, on what we're investigating at that given time. Now, one, um, one big mistake by the way, that I think we make, and really this can actually apply to all of them, but I think it applies more to comparison and versus, is assuming that this is going to be our opinion. So pause for dramatic effect there. Assuming that if I'm going to compare something, then I have to inject my opinion on why I think this is good and that is not. And what areas this is what is done well let me be very clear about something. It cannot be your opinion. In fact, the quickest way to land yourself in court is by using your opinion. And I'm not lying about that. I've seen it happen before. Now, you know, it's our job as coaches. We, we help people stay out of these situations, but I've seen it before where we get lazy on doing the research and rely on our own opinions about things. And then that you just can't do that. You just can't do that. It has, you have to figure out a way and it takes hard work sometimes. You have to figure out a way to make it completely based around fact and sound logic and not just somebody's opinion. You could maybe say on Trustpilot, this company has a 3.8 stars versus this one has a 4.0 stars. But again, that's not your opinion. That's based on fact. That's based on research. That's based on data. Like you're not going to get yourself in hot water by doing something like that. But it's where opinions uh, come in that these are so problematic. That's why people are afraid to do them. Yeah. That's also why I think you need to think about it as logically as you can. Like this should be almost a decision tree map that allows somebody to make a fact-based decision more than anything else. I shared this the working paragraph at the beginning for the best of content last time. And your point, Nick, I think it goes... People want to know the best so they get their consideration set. And then they want to know the differences of the best. And that's what comparison content is, right? They just want to be able to contrast the best from each other after they go find their consideration set. 
the beginning of a comparison article is, hey, these are two great options. They're different fits for different people. And in this article, we're going to get you to the bottom of finding the right fit for you. You're going to know all the facts that allow you to make an informed decision of which of these two things are going to ultimately make sense to solve your problem. If you can do it in that way and you stick to just the facts, at the end of those, you say, now you have all the facts. If you're in this camp, you go over here and you go watch the review content about this. You go learn more about this or the problems of this stuff. But if you're in this camp, you go, you go over here. You jump in, follow that user path down that, that route. A, a good challenge I have to folks is, and I think we can recognize this as buyers more than, more than businesses because of the, uh, the curse of knowledge. But when you go read a comparison article, you know really quickly if you have all the information to move forward in the buyer's journey or if you didn't get the full story and you need to go find another thing that's going to give you more information beyond that. As soon as people are done with comparison content, you go show it to a few people and see like, is this the full story in your mind? Did this allow you to put yourself in one of the two camps? The, uh, the sales team is probably the absolute best place to find those types of comparisons because it's like your sales, people come to your sales people all the time, right? And they're saying, we're, should I do this? Should I do that? Whether you're a brick and mortar store, whether you're selling products or, I mean, for us as a B2B service provider, people compare what we do every day with tons of other things. And it's on us to help, help them make that decision. We're not the best for everybody, right? And that's the other part of this is that you have to make someone you have to guide someone to that decision. Let's and let's talk about that. Let's talk about how this parallels real sales conversations, right? Because this isn't just about just putting stuff on your website. This is about being willing and open to be the teacher and helping people compare things. So let's let's walk through a common situation that any salesperson is going to find themselves in. Any of them are going to find themselves in a situation at some point, if not often, in which you, you've you've perhaps pitched somebody really well. They're aware of something. Then they say, I'm, I think this might be good for me. I like this, but I'm also looking at this other option. Now, in that moment, how do most salespeople respond? Pitching, feature benefits. We're going to go immediately into defense mode. You're right, Will. So, so, and with the goal being, and here's the ultimate test, with the goal being in their minds, if I do this well, that prospect is going to say to me, you know what, Zach, you're right. I should roll with this or I should roll with that. But that's not self-discovery. If they're saying, you know what, you're right, Zach, they didn't discover that thing for themselves. I, I, I got them to that point and it'd be easy for them to flip-flop after that. But if instead, if I met with that thing and I say, you know what, I'm glad you told me you're looking at that because we deal with a lot of people who actually find that's a better option. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's go deeper. Let's really figure it out. Let me ask some questions. And then by the end of that, they're saying, you know what, Zach, I feel like I know exactly what I should do. That means they discovered it for themselves. Way less likely to flip-flop after that because they have full ownership. And I led with curiosity versus trying to get them somewhere. And Boom. That's how this works when we're in sales conversations. Content should be doing the same thing. Shouldn't be getting to the end of this and the prospect is saying, you know what? This company is right. That this is a great recommendation for me. They should be saying, I know exactly what I need to know now to make a decision for myself. Let's hit, <clears throat> let's hit pause on that real quick because you brought up a really, I think that's the, the linchpin to this whole thing, which is the, the self-discovery part. Can we go, go deeper into like 
how do you effectively do that? And why is that so important? Because I don't, I think the self-discovery part of what consuming content does to someone and the ownership that we take over those decisions when we, when that happens, I think that the mechanics of that get lost when we're creating content and we're thinking about planning content. So like that. so unpack that a little bit. If you were to look at self-discovery um, as, you know, like what are the, what are the, let's say the two factors that lead to self-discovery. The first would be the amount of ownership that you give to the, to the other party that you're communicating with. The other would be the level of curiosity that you are using uh, or that you have towards the situation. Because if you're not curious about it all, you think you know exactly what the solution is, or you're not giving ownership thinking, I'm not going to, I'm just going to tell them what they need to do. You're not prompting self-discovery. And so we have to give full ownership, meaning that we trust this person that they have the agency to make a good decision on their own. Once I give them all the facts, once I give them everything they're looking for and curiosity, meaning we're not going to just come right out and say, this is what exactly what I think you should do. We're going to say, so based on that, what do you think you should do? Or curiosity put a different way is, so why are you assessing that other option? What was it about that other option that seems good to you? How long have you been looking at that? Like whatever it takes, we want to get to know their decision-making. So the question is, can you prompt self? When you're, if you're looking at curiosity, you can certainly do that in a sales conversation. Can you do it through content? Well, of course you can. That's what Will is saying, right? Can you give them the stuff that they would, that would say, you're a good fit if some of these things apply to you? Not a good fit if some of these apply to you. You're giving them the agency to pick the ones that apply to them. That's prompting self-discovery. So many sales team members lose so many deals because they make someone on the call that they're talking to go, you know what, Zach? You're right. This is all, this is all good stuff. Thanks for telling me so much about why you guys are different or when it does make sense to work with your business. You're right. And that's usually the kiss of death right there. That's the best way to hang up a call and then you're following up with that person via email five times before you realize they're never going to talk to you again. Because when was the last time anybody felt like someone made them make a decision for them? We're too smart for that as buyers. We make our own decisions. I want to have a whole podcast on, on self-discovery later, fellas, but the idea of being able to ask questions and have that person feel like, I have all the information from Zach. He's not making me make a choice for me. I now can go make a choice for myself and I led myself there through this conversation. That's why comparison content is more valuable for salespeople than it is for something sitting on your website. And it's more difficult to do the right way. Will, <clears throat> Will how does a salesperson like use, like how do, what does that talk track or that moment feel like when a salesperson can provide the piece of content to someone? Because I don't think it's as easy as just like, here's a link read this thing and get back to me, right? Like that's a lazy way to do it and it's not going to do the thing you want. Yeah, totally. This is something we should, we should actually like role play a little bit on here at some point. But when you have someone, this looks different for every industry, but when you have someone that's letting you know they're comparing you to someone else, it's like, I'm getting other bids or yeah, I'm talking to someone else about the same thing. You got to lean into that and be like, I'm glad you brought that up now. Because we got to talk about that. And we talk to a lot of people that are talking to that same company or that same product offering. And there's a right fit. I actually have a few questions that's going to help short, short circuit so you can actually consider the options the right way in front of you. You mind if I ask you a few questions about 
why you're thinking about that one too, so that you know how to contrast them after you talk to both companies. It's an incredibly powerful tool, right? Yeah. And it doesn't sound like you saying things to them. It sounds like five really great questions in a row that allow people to understand the real differences between what they're considering. And then, oh, by the way, we also happen to have a piece of content here that helps spell out some of those key things that'll help you help guide you make an, an understanding the differences and the similarities to these few things or whatever, or whatever those things are. Or you likely have other people that are going to be involved in ultimately making this decision for your company. And the last thing I want you to be responsible for is playing the game of telephone of everything you learned here. Here's the easiest way to get everyone else caught up using this piece of content that is going to allow you to fully understand the differences of the two options in front of you. You're welcome. That's a really good point, Will. I actually have a, a bit of a story about this. Uh, a uh, technology company that I won't name came to me years ago and asked me to compare their technology to somebody else's and some video content, some articles and things. And um, I agreed to it because I, I liked their their product. And because, but ultimately they, they were asking me to do it because they didn't want to do the comparison. And so I, 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 I did that content went up on their website, right? If you're looking at this other option, watch this video from Zach at impact, which all, by the way, just felt weird to me that that's the way they wanted to do it, but I did it. But imagine you're in a real, uh, sales scenario here. Will to your example, somebody's. Somebody's working with this this technology company. You're talking to them about their stuff. Um, they say, okay, I hear you. You're looking at that other option. I'm going to send you over some content that compares the two. And you can show that to your other decision makers. Can you imagine in this scenario, they're getting a video from me who they don't, they don't know. They don't, like, it's not the company that they're actually talking to. It's not building any trust. That's, that's like, that's the great divide in us understanding being the teacher. If you have multiple decision makers in the process, you want to try and get the logic to them, then you got to be the ones making the videos. You got to be the ones writing the content. Hey, here's all of the options. I laid them out and here's content that, that compares the two and whatever. And you're actually able to, to make some progress. And again, stay out of indecision. But it's when we choose not to be the teacher, we sacrifice it up to the, to the marketplace to do it for us. We fail. Black and white. We talk a lot about how this content like closes the trust gap. Or just like that, it's assumed that this, if you're able to articulate these people's problems and help them come to these decisions, you're closing the trust gap. How does this actually like happen though? Like, what is it? What do you think it is about this type of content that is building trust with people over time? Right. Cause we know that building trust with a buyer isn't like this one piece of content is the thing that did it for me. It's hundreds dozens, if not hundreds of touch points. And this, this contributes to that, right? But what, what is it about it that like in the minds of the buyers is just like slowly chipping away at that gap? I think I can take a crack at a first step of this. You have someone that needs to go across a buyer's journey. Like this is the information I need to know, to know what I need, who I need it from, how much it's going to cost me, when I'm going to get it, right? That's, that's from like, 0% to 100% of the way of getting there. And then along that journey of going through your whole buyer's journey, collecting information, making decisions, you're also building trust with the groups of people that are moving you across that journey. 
And you look at someone that's doing a lot, like the first 80% of that buyer's journey taking place on the internet. Those people are learning a lot from anywhere from like one to five information providers. And they're also starting to gain, whether they realize it or not, like affinity and trust with groups there. Regardless of if they actually provide the thing or if they're just informational competitors to providing information about the content uh, or about the offering. So I'm going to go back to a, uh, an example I gave at our, at our podcast last week. When you go talk about something in a way that makes people realize I moved further along my buyer's journey, like the outcome of me reading this thing is like, by the end of reading this comparison article, you're going to know which camp you fall in between these two things and which one you should go deep into learning. And then you fulfill that promise. They're going like, man, thank you. Like, thank you for actually helping me. You wouldn't believe how much BS is in the space that I'm trying to trudge through just to figure out what I need. So thank you for moving me through my buyer's journey more. And the point I was making from, from last week's call, I had the, the roofing company that when they come on site, they know that when people have visited their financing pages, they do a really good financing comparison article. And the people that read that go, the way that you talked about financing I trust you to teach me anything about the roofing purchasing process now. And it's not even that it has like relation with the content. It's just that because you taught me this thing, particularly this thing that's hard to learn from other people because no one wants to talk about the elephant in the room, I trust you teaching me about anything. And people had a hard time probably even articulating why that is other than just, I like and trust this company because they've moved me along my buyer's journey so much. How many times have you read a comparison article and at the end it's like, yeah, so the, you really just have to decide which one is right for you. And it's like they've never like laid out any anything of substance that helps you figure out one way or the other on anything. And it's like that is that widens the gap because now you're just like, I'm just frustrated with this company because they didn't actually deliver on the promise. It's either that or they're they're clearly leading you down one path being the only option. And both times you leave frustrated and feeling like you need to go learn from somebody else, which to that point, like to give stakes of what a bad comparison article looks like on your website or a bad comparison conversation in your sales process is the fastest way to scare someone away and not trust you anymore. Which is why while the big five can be a valuable trust builder done the wrong way or incorrectly or with bias, people sniff that out real fast. And it'll be the first reason why they don't want to learn from you anymore when you've burned them on one or two pieces of content. Let's keep going down that wrong way land here for a second. There's a lot of right ways to do this and there's a lot of wrong ways. What are some common wrong ways that you see people do this stuff? What's the most common ones? Well, inje um, injecting your opinion is obviously mm -hmm. the, the, the biggest one. The, the other one I would say is actually a flaw in just the way that we're approaching it in general, which in a sense is going to sound counter to what you just said, which is that we need to give a, like a, a hard recommendation at the end. I think that's actually what prevents us from creating something that's actually insightful and thoughtful because just like with, uh, you know, a, a price estimation tool, let's say the fact that we're not giving a fixed price and just spitting out this exactly how much it's going to cost you. That's not eroding trust. We're just getting them to a point where this is like, it's about as far as you can get right now. 
like, we can't get you further than that unless we talk to you. I think it's understood by the marketplace. And I do think in a sense that when we're comparing stuff or when we're doing any of this big five stuff, you're not going to always be able to end with. And so based on that, here's exactly what you should do. Some of these are going to have to end with. So based on that, here's the next question you need to be asking. And that's okay. So, so I actually think a flaw in the way that we approach them, this stuff is like, we're, we're trying to play the lawyer where we're like making a case for our stuff. I don't think you really need to make a case for anything. You just need to teach it. Just talk about it. Um, and then just talk about both sides equally. Cause it is making a case, Zach. Well, now we're just getting to semantics. Okay. <laughs> but I, I, but I, I don't think you need to have, I don't think you need to end with like, and here's based on that, here's what you do. Get them as, as close and as far as you can, because and the reason I'm saying that as a mistake is that if you're trying to end with boom, you're, you're probably going to hold back from talking about certain things. It's like this doesn't apply to the recommendation I'm going to make at the end, but, 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 so I think it's a big mistake. But to be clear, like the ending there is not to send somebody to the specific product or service. The end, like the goal is if this, then that, right? Like if these are your criteria and how do we, how do we communicate that? So that by the time someone completes, finishes or consumes the content, they watch the video, they read the article, whatever it is, they can get to the end and say, okay, I understand the criteria, the camp that I need to be in, the things that I need to, the, the, the differences between these two so that I can move one step in either direction. And like you said, I think asking the question at the end or, or presenting, all right, what's the next thing someone should be asking to move them forward in the process? Something that no one else is going to be doing, especially any competitor in your space is going to be doing. To the extent that it's an assumptive sale, it's okay to do. It's not okay to manipulate somebody to say, this is exactly what you should do next. But when we make the assumptive thing, like for instance, if it's, let's go back to our basic example. It's not even talking about companies, inbound versus outbound marketing. Let's say right in that thing. And at the end, I'm not going to say, so based on that, go do inbound marketing. So now that you've read this, if you want to see some world-class examples of inbound marketing at play, check out some of our case studies. I'm making an assumption that, okay, I've gotten to this point. I've got something for them for the camp that I represent. And if outbound is better for them, you know, maybe I point them in some direction, but the teacher also leading, right? Teacher doesn't get you to a certain point and then throw the responsibility back on you. Teacher keeps leading. You have yeah. your responsibilities to figure things out, but the teacher's always saying, here's the next step. So we, we, we wouldn't want to just be totally like unbiased to the point where it's like, we never sell anything. We never talk about the next thing to do with us or, or whatever. We do. We definitely do that. That's being the leader, not expecting the buyer to lead us. So we're always saying what that next thing is going to be. That I think would be mm. a mistake because if, look, if you, if any of, any of you folks that are listening to this, if you do this really, really well, I can promise you, you're going to have more people looking at your stuff. You're going to have more people evaluating you. And when you have more people evaluating you, it's not going to build more trust by not giving them the thing to do with you. Take stock in the fact that I just helped out this marketplace. I just helped out this buyer. If working with me is a thing, boom, this is what it should be. And if it's not, there's the other thing, but we don't, we don't want to be like wishy-washy about it. Yeah. That's, that's one of the biggest misconceptions I hear from folks after they read the book and they're starting writing content for the first time is like, oh, we're not supposed to talk about ourselves. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to pitch us anymore. 
Yeah, it's it's not right. It's just the wrong it's the wrong takeaway though. Yeah. The the whole the whole goal of making content is to earn someone's trust to help lead them further down their buyer's journey. And if you've actually moved the needle with somebody in a piece of content and says, say, hey, in this article, I'm going to compare HubSpot versus Salesforce. By the end of it, you're going to have a better idea of which one makes sense for you. And then you follow through on that and you say, hey, now that you know the differences, the answer of which one makes sense for me is it depends. But at least you know the variables that go into doing this. And if you're in the HubSpot category, this is the most important thing for you to do next. You're likely asking yourself these questions and here's where you go to to continue your journey. If you're in the Salesforce category, go to salesforce.com. Well, there's value in being in being able to demonstrate that expertise though, right? When, when you can say, these are the next questions to ask to move forward. If you're considering moving forward with HubSpot, we've, com- we've created all these resources because we are the best in the world at educating people on how to get started with HubSpot. How to get how to implement HubSpot, how to do it in the fastest time possible, how to do it most efficiently, and going down the list, uh, and being able to create stuff for all those all those situations. So it kind of feels obvious right now, but we get it, right? All right, we should compare things. But one of the things that I know is true in my own experience of doing this stuff and when working with companies in the past, and even when we sit down to write content here at Impact. You open up your Word doc and you're like, let's get going. Writer's block. So help un- help unpack a little bit of like, you know, what's the very first, very best first step to take here? Well, I'm curious for you, because I know I know you're working on this one right now with a bunch of people with a bunch of clients. Yeah. So if if anyone's listening to this saying, look, I get it, but how do I first get started doing my first comparison article? I would challenge you to first make a comparison article about something that you're already pretty comfortable comparing in your space. And you know, you're not going to lead into the bias or you're not going to lead into opinions. You have all the facts. And typically this comes into product or service lines, or this comes into clear competitors that you always are against or you're always being compared to in your industry. And step one is go interview your sales team. The people that are talking about this stuff all the time and try to make the if-then statements that allow you to film. I I talked about it at the beginning of this episode. Make the things that say, if this is true about them, would they be more in this camp? So you at least have like the table at the end, like the check boxes of what's true about these things, the trade-offs, so to speak. And once you have that, it becomes a lot easier to go write the article that helps people unpack those things. And for most businesses, particularly ones that I know feel extra different, the first thing they're making in comparison land is something that their sales team talks about that they sell both of the things of. It's the most relevant stuff, right? There's no reason to back out and start trying to overcomplicate the situation. You have buyers right in front of you today who are, is what I'm hearing you say, is that you have buyers in front of you today who are facing these types of decisions right now with whatever you sell, whatever product or service you have. And they're trying to understand these situations, right? I called it mind mapping in the beginning of the show. Yeah, exactly. You have to you have to define the variables and then you have to define how the two things are different from each other. All comparison articles are is you contrasting two things from each other so people can put them in their little buckets in their head and have a little more information of how things are separated in their space. 
everything's a category. And so it starts with the sales team, right? Starts with the sales team. I think now, if you don't have a sales team, I think one of the uh, recent show we had someone's like, I, everything I do is touchless or it's e-commerce. How do you do that? Zach, I'm curious for you on that. What do you, how do you deal with that in that environment? Well, you're still going to have a subject matter expert of some kind, whether it's the founder or the CEO or somebody who is familiar with pitching the, whatever the service is, or like, you're going to have people who understand, you know, uh, whatever the competitive advantages are, whatever of all the players usually. Um, but an exercise I would consider if you're comparing something that is you to another brand or another company, then get two people who know enough about both to, to debate about it. And you see what the major threads are of the debate and you start tackling those or, um, like Will said, if it's something that you sell or something that you do, just sit down and go, if you were explaining this to a fifth grader, what they have to know to understand the differences between these two things. Like most people are reading at what a seventh grade level anyways. So act like you're explaining it to a seventh grader. Um, yeah, don't, I love the question, Nick, because it's a scenario that somebody might find themselves in. They open up that word document and nothing's showing up. But the funny thing is don't start in the document. Like that's not the place to start the place to start review some sales calls, have a couple of salespeople debate this, look at what the marketplace is saying, look at reviews and see what people are talking about. Like this, these things take research and perhaps that's my little diatribe uh, for today. If I were to have one, probably already had a couple, but mine would be like, we want to be that most trusted teacher, but we don't want to put the work in to understand how to teach it in a way that people prefer to learn it. We, it's just like, we're, we, we're going to be the teacher and we're going to teach it the way that we want to teach it. Well, that's fine, but that's not exactly what the marketplace is asking for. They want to learn it the way that they prefer to learn it. That means it's through video, through text, through whatever. You got to teach it in the way that they want to learn it in a format that they want to learn it. And so, um, yeah, don't start in the Word doc. Figure out mm. how you really are going to teach this. Could be with graphics, could be with video, could be with whatever. And, and go from there. I don't think there's a magic bullet to say these are the three steps, but I would just say the more you start leaning into this, the more you're going to realize that you've been thinking like a business all along and you're not thinking, you haven't been thinking like the buyer. That's going to be the po most powerful exercise here. Zach, you brought up something that um, I've seen way too many teams miss in doing. Someone's like halfway done building the big five article and they say, well, yeah, we want to be the best at comparing these two things. You say, great. What's the best answer out there right now? And they haven't even Googled the thing that they're, they're going to go rank for. They don't even know what they're competing against yet. So how could you possibly go make the objectively best answer to the question if you don't know the stuff that's out there that already exists to find a way to be objectively better than? But I'm, I'm going to reinforce those accent. Like, if you're starting in the Word doc, you're, you're definitely hurting yourself. And it's way more of a headache to begin this. Go start pretending to be your own buyer. Figure out how people are getting this information today. And then find a way to short circuit that, like go, go improve the buyer's experience while you pretend to be your own buyer. Yeah. Well, you brought this up. I think it was last week when you brought this up and you said like, if you were to buy this, how would you do it? And it's like, a lot of people haven't thought through the steps you have to take to purchase from yourself, let alone gone through their own sales process. Now, Zach, you brought up to an interesting thing, which was like basically the levers you can pull what I'm hearing. The levers you can pull if you are not the subject matter expert 
like you're the marketer and you're out, you're just trying to do this thing. Talk to your sales team is the first one because the sales team talks about it all day. They have this narrative and this talk track hammered out. Like reproduce that in a piece of content, whether it's video or, or written. The other thing is talk to a subject matter expert. So if it's not the sales team, who is it? In these highly technical spaces, if you're in aerospace, if you're in anything engineering or manufacturing or industrial, a lot of times you're probably the subject matter expert is going to be someone who's extremely technical, but they're not your marketer and they're not the salesperson, especially in like software development or understanding some of those more technical factors. So go interview those people. Put become the buyer and ask the same questions or listen to the questions they're asked on the sales call and go get that information from the subject matter expert and create content on that. Those are the two best places to start is what I'm hearing from you guys. Well, let's land this plane, guys. We got a few minutes left, so let's let's land this plane. And every week, we're going to start doing, uh, we're going to bring it back and we're going to do it moving forward, which is how to think different. And Zach, you kind of already touched on this. You stole a little bit of the thunder. But basically, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. We're going to land it and wrap it up. And knowing all this, how does someone, so Will, we'll start with you first. How does someone think different about creating this type of content today? How to think different about creating comparison content that helps your buyers move forward in their buyer's journey. It stinks. We're going to say it probably every podcast. You got to think like your buyer. Something I said last week, you don't get to choose how your buyers buy. That's not up to you. You have to identify how are people learning in my space and how can I make the most important thing that's going to help them actually move the needle. To what Zach said earlier, you can't like promise the world in these pieces of content. When you're comparing things, folks are just trying to contrast the options that they have in front of them. And all of your content should promise what it's able to deliver on and then follow through on that thing. And as soon as you followed through on the thing that you promised them, tell them what to do next because you earn the ability to do that. You earn the trust to do that. But if you're moving someone through their buyer's journey by making big five content that's unbiased and feels like the whole story, like they don't need the other side of the story from your competitor, you're making really good comparison content. Zach, I know you you had your little soapbox before, but you got anything to add? I always got something to add, dude. Uh, well, I would just rephrase what Will said a little bit and, and I'd just condense and I'd say, what if it was your responsibility to educate people on all of the options before them? versus where so many of us start, which is that we don't want to talk about the other options. What if we said, it's our responsibility to our customer to talk about those options, to make sure they're well-educated on them? How would that change the conversations that you have? Problem is most of us don't think like that. And so when we get that resistance in the sales process, we're going, oh, I wish they wouldn't have asked that. Imagine you were able to say, I'm so glad you asked that. I've got some content right here for you that's going to help you with this. That's as possible when you become the teacher. And uh, that's how you have to think different, though. Rather than shying away from that thing, we take it on as our responsibility as the teacher to teach about it. That's why I love you, Zach. You say what I say in fewer words, way better. This is great, guys. So let's, we got, I got a couple questions in the DMs, but if anyone has any questions they'd love to ask, you can throw it in the chat. You can raise your little Zoom hand. Happy to have you ask. Come up and chat with us. Um, one of the things that I think just keeps coming back is, is 
uh, the the sounding biased thing, and I've got I got two in here. It's just around how to avoid sounding biased. So, like, hit that one more time. Will, I'm curious your take on this one. Is is avoiding that, or it's like, and let me give you one more piece of context. Most people who are going to write this and they're going to send this to QA to their marketing director or their VP or their, their CEO is going to want to see that before something like that goes out, and they're going to say, probably. Send a lean on, lean a little bit towards us is probably what I think most, a lot of companies are going to end up saying. And then it's going to take, uh, and it's going to totally skew what we're trying to do here. So talk a little bit about how do you do this without being biased, but also being helpful, right? And with also contributing to the business. Yeah. Well, let me speak to the, the marketers first, the people that are doing the writing and saying, if you have a fear in your company that what you're making isn't going to be accepted. Back it up with facts and don't start at the most controversial possible place you could with content. You got to boil those frogs slowly. And if you're the business owner, you have to challenge your own thinking and say, if I don't teach my buyers about this, who am I letting do that work for me? And is that really better than me doing it myself? And as long as it's factual, as long as it's if-then statements that provide the whole story, you're either an honest, trust-building company or you're an ostrich neck deep. There's always going to be like a little bit of fear that comes with like putting out any content that feels a little different. And we know that a lot of companies that we've worked with that have been on the fence, there's usually that level of scrutiny that goes in between when the content's created and publishing so i think being able to disarm that early and often and he said lead with facts don't go super aggressive with these ridiculous comparisons it's probably a great place to start yeah and one more misconception folks that read the ask you answer one time and say we're ready to do it we're not doing this for shock value we're doing this because it's helpful and if you're reading your content and feeling like it's it's there as like a novelty or like we're more willing to talk about anything than anyone else in our industry. And that's why we're making it before we're making it because it improves the buyer's journey and the available information for people to make decisions. We're likely coming at it the wrong way. Like both of those things can happen, but you have to, you have to leave with the intention of improving the buyer's journey, not like disrupting the space with shock and awe of what you're willing to do. That's, that's not the battle you're picking in your space. You shouldn't read the article and go like, oh, you should be able to read it and say like, oh, okay, this is actually a genuinely helpful thing and our buyers are actually going to appreciate that. Yeah. It can be a mic drop, but not for the sake of dropping a mic. Well, I think it's a mic drop because no one else in most industries are willing to to do some of these things because mostly because they probably just haven't considered it. They're not thinking like the buyer, they're thinking like the business. Awesome. Mm. So we'll be back next week with uh, talking about assignment selling. That's going to be fun. We hope to see you all there. We thank you for being here today. Uh, as a reminder, you can catch the replays of these um, and our guest appearances and other great shows all on the the, pot, the But We're Different podcast feed, anywhere where you listen to podcasts and also our YouTube channel. Um, we'll be back next week, Tuesday, 3 p.m. Let's talk about assignment selling. We'll see you next week.